The frickin' miracle of birth. All right. Well, let's get started. Um, this is the frickin' miracle of birth with Colleen O'Malley and Georgina Santos. Welcome. Welcome. All right, Colleen, would you like to kick it off with our fake sponsors for this week? Yes. Um, I had a couple written down, but then I thought of a new one today while I was walking. And um, I think a new Olympic sport should be, I'm, I'm sponsored by this, uh, avoiding people while walking on the street. Because, like, now, I used to avoid people just when I had my dogs with me while walking down, like, you know, a sidewalk or whatever. But now, because of COVID, I'm like, I should never have to share a sidewalk with anyone, and I will do whatever it takes to get out of the way. So, like, I just, like, sprint into the street like an insane person as soon as I possibly can. And if I hesitate at all and they don't immediately sprint into the street, I assume they're a bad person who wants to give me germs. So that's my sponsor for the week. Yeah, that, that definitely is an Olympic sport for sure. I feel like since being vaccinated, I'm just assuming everyone else is, though that is statistically probably not the case. It's more about like, I don't think I'm actually going to get any germs from them, but I'm so used to doing it now that I, like, don't want to be close to people I don't know for any reason. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, furthered my extra, or my introversion to, like, an extreme degree. And honestly, I'm fine with it. Like, you shouldn't be within a radius where you can reach out and grab me and I can reach out and grab you. We don't need that. I don't know you. You're not my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, personal space and bubbles like that should that should remain after the pandemic. Yes, mine like has become huge. So how Midwestern. I know. I've really embraced that part of it. Um, I think mine this week is I'm sponsored by sunscreen. I think we've gone through five bottles because and our sunscreen routine is very elaborate at this point. And I think that I have an award winning idea of in of uh creating little tanning booths like spray tan booths for toddlers but it's not spray tan it's sunscreen because yes. that would be really awesome if they could just go into like this like little area little like zone. with a curtain yeah and they just get sprayed from head to toe immediately and then they just come out ready to go because right now it's like that's another olympic sport is is toddler sunscreen application it's like yes. a wrestling jujitsu mind game like it's got everything so i yes. think that trying to apply sunscreen on a toddler is just another level of athleticism that i don't know if i possess um but yeah sunscreen i mean you're allowing us i guess to go out for five minutes at a time in this heat wave so well, shout my out. my kids always end up just having like white paste covering them and it's not rubbed in whatsoever but they're so fair and irish that i'm like well you have to have it all over you and if you won't let me rub it in i'll just put more on and so it's just like a thick white film over their entire body and they're like mom i'm i can't my skin can't breathe now because of this i'm like whatever yep it's your war paint yes all right well today we are very excited to welcome moogie to the podcast um Moogie is my neighbor and a fellow toddler mom. So welcome. Moogie, can you, you tell us just a little bit about you and your family? I'm Moogie and I am a mom of three kids. Um, I'm from Mongolia. And what um, part of uh, Mongolia are you from? 
I'm from, well, I was born in the countryside, but now I, and then later when I was a teenager, my family moved to the city, and then I, later I met my husband, and we moved to Minnesota. <laughs> and how old are your three kids? So I have Timuka, which is, he's going to be 11 years old in a week, and Sarne, she is three and a half. She's Noel's friend. And I have Iredui. He is eight months old. And I'm going to share Iredui's birth story because that's the only one I can remember. Like the details. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, I bet like I don't have multiple children, but I've heard that sometimes it can, like, blend together or you can forget. It all blends in. <laughs> <laughs> and so how long have you, you're kind of like me, a transplant. Well, and Colleen, we're all transplants to Minneapolis, but how long have you been here in Minneapolis? Um, about six years, I think. Yeah. And you all moved from Connecticut, right? We were, well, so we moved from Mongolia to Connecticut. And we were in Connecticut only like eight months and then moved to Minnesota in the middle of the winter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And were you like <laughs> panicked? Like, this is not okay. Why are we doing this? <laughs> uh, partly, yes. But, I mean, Mongolia is pretty extreme, too. They were winter, so... Actually, like the first couple of years we were in Minnesota, like 2016 and 2017 winter, it was like super mild. Like, <laughs> oh, these people were saying like Minnesota winter is horrible. It's like nothing compared to Mongolia. <laughs> you had good training. Yeah, yeah. Does Mongolia get as hot as Minnesota as well? Yes, um, but not as humid. So... It's dry heat, which is way better and tolerable than this heat. The Minnesota heat is just too much. It's, like, yucky. <laughs> Do you get mosquitoes the size of small birds in Mongolia as well? No, that's the thing. This mosquito thing is totally new to me. So I get this horrible, like, reaction to it. And the mosquitoes in Minnesota just loves me so much. And in Mongolia, I mean, there are mosquitoes, but I grew up in the countryside, like kind of like a desert area. So there's like no lake or river or anything. So there's no mosquito. So I didn't grow up like getting bite by mosquitoes. So it's totally new. And I hate all the mosquitoes. Yeah, they love Georgina too. If we go walk through the woods, like I might get one mosquito bite and Georgina will get 47 it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my people, genetic, like I'm from the Philippines. Well, my parents are from the Philippines, but it's like, I feel like Filipinos, it's like, we should be like old news to these mosquitoes. Like, why do you <laughs> like me? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't understand what it is, but I don't, yeah, maybe it's just, I probably put on like too much like makeup and perfume and they're like, what are these chemicals? Like, let's get on this this little girl. Um, so, um, Moogie, tell us a little bit. So, how old is Iridui now? Iridui, he just turned eight months old. So, he's just starting to crawl now, getting to places and finding all kinds of garbages on the floor. <laughs> I can attest that he is the most chill, angelic, sweet 
baby. That seems to be a thing that I've noticed. It's like this: the younger kids that are like very laid back. He's just such a doll, and he's so sweet, and he seems so content. And like Sarne and Inuka seem to really like just being big siblings to him. Yeah, yeah. I got very, very lucky with him, but not the pregnancy part, though. <laughs> well, so tell us about that. Sort of set the stage uh, when you were, you know, thinking about getting pregnant, your first trimester, just what all that was like. So um, we were, we had Sarne, and then we knew we wanted one more baby. So we were like timing and making like, you know plans like when are we gonna start trying and things like that so after our daughter Sarna turned two we started trying because we thought three years difference would be like perfect so um we started trying in October and then uh, we actually got pregnant in January but we I was still breastfeeding Sarna at that stage and then in December, I went to Australia to visit my sister. And then my sister was like, you need to win this girl if you want to get pregnant again. And I was like, I know, but I was just like so emotionally attached to Sarna, like nursing, <laughs> breastfeeding like the whole time. And Sarna was already like two years old and two months old. So my sister like finally like took her away from me on like <laughs> Christmas like physically mm-hmm. and she was like you need to win her and you need to get pregnant and I was like okay I'll get my <laughs> life together <laughs> so um right after new year we were still in Australia and then Matt and I my husband and I went on a like a vacation like from our vacation so we left our kids with my sister and we went to this place called Moolaba it's uh, in Queensland so we spent two nights and three days there and we think that that's the place we conceived him which gives me like a week in between like weaning Sarna to getting pregnant <laughs> so so we came back from our vacation in January 18th and then um, we were just like horribly jet lagged and it was just really bad and I was just sleeping all the time like just sleeping and then I think it was like a couple weeks later I got like really really sick and then I had to go to ER at like four in the morning because I got I don't know I just I was just really really sick so I went to ER and then they like you know at four in the morning and I was alone as um Matt couldn't come. So I was in the ER, just checked in. And then I was like, I'm really sick. I'm jet lagged. And I had UTI, which is really really horrible. (laughs) UTI is like the worst thing imaginable. Yes, agree. (laughs) So they like you know, gave me this, like, sent me to the bathroom to, like, give them my urine and to test and stuff like that. And I was, like, waiting in the emergency room, like, in the bedroom, in in one of their separate room, alone at four in the morning. 
And then the doctor like finally comes in at five, I think, because I was just like waiting there alone, like in the pain. And I think they gave me like a Tylenol. And then I was just waiting there. And then the doctor comes in and says like, oh, you have UTI and we'll put you on antibiotics. And then she left. And then she came back and says, oh, your urine test came back and you are pregnant. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) Oh, wow. And And then the doctor was like, were you planning to get pregnant? And I was like, why is that a question? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I was. But like, can you give me antibiotics? Because I'm in great pain and I'm like dying here. So finally they like checked me out and then they were like, you can go home. Like they like gave me antibiotics and I like came home. I actually told Matt that I was pregnant at ER on the text. I was like, guess what? I'm pregnant. Oh, man. (laughs) And I was still, like, really, really sick. But the UTI, like, cleared out after, like, a few days. And actually, I found out that I was pregnant with Sarne, like, in a similar way, too. I was having another, like, UTI problem. And I went to the doctor and then that's how I found out. It's like a tradition kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe it's your body's way of, of like <laughs> welcoming new my, life. <laughs> that was awful. my understanding. Yeah, I feel like my body just like immediately reacts to my pregnancy hormones and just like gives me UTI. Wow. Yeah. It's like one of the like fairly common right but also just one of the worst pains i feel like especially for for women and then you get like this silver lining along with it <laughs> so that's at least good so um how did was matt surprised when you told him no he was just like oh okay like he was happy cuz you know we've been trying but he was like sad to find out that like you know the way we did in the ER. Because, <laughs> you know, in the perfect world, like, I would be at home and then, like, have a pregnancy test and then, like, I'll check and it's a two-line and we'll be, like, so excited. But it was no, not like that. <laughs> How did your first trimester then go? Ugh. So I was extremely nauseous, um, really, really nauseous. And I was, like, couldn't eat so I found out I was pregnant I think I was like four weeks pregnant and then after my UTI cleared out I was just sick and I couldn't eat and I couldn't like smell like you know it was just bad like really really bad morning sickness and I was throwing up and it went on for like a couple weeks and then I was like I lost like seven pounds eight pounds in like two weeks so I went back to ER again because I was losing so much weight and I wasn't eating anything and I needed to get like fluid I actually called the nurse line and they were like just go to ER and then they will like give you fluid like IV so I went to ER with Matt this time because I think was it before the pandemic started before before before. yeah actually like 
right after we came back from Australia, my sister was like, oh, did you hear about this coronavirus thing that started in China? And I was like, oh, interesting, really? No, we like haven't heard anything. And then it was like hit us really bad in March, mm-hmm. <laughs> end of March. Um, so yeah, it was before like all the pandemic craziness started. So, um, so I went back to ER again to get IV with Matt. And Matt's dad, I think, by that time was in Minnesota. He was in Florida because he's a snowbird. So he went to Flor- he was in Florida. So I was sick and just like bedridden for the whole time. And Matt was he's a graduate student, so he was still taking classes and he was trying to like parent two kids and take care of me at the same time. So he needed help. So his dad came from Florida to like look after the kids so I can be in bed and Matt can go to work or school so that happened and then at ER so they, so they like prescribed me this medicine called compazine at ER because I was like you know losing weight and I couldn't eat so it was like they were they just pers- prescribed me this pill and I was like took it because I didn't know like they were like this will help you with your nausea and you will be able to eat which it did help a ton but then we didn't know like that medicine also had a different effect apparently we found out after I've been taking it for like a week that it was like a anti-psychotic drug huh wow I had no idea so it was like making me extremely sleepy like just flat out I was just sleeping like even though I was like not nauseous anymore which is a plus side right like upside yay I'm not feeling nauseous anymore and I can eat but at the same time like I was just sleeping it was just like Matt said that I was really depressed um which I don't know but it was just really bad. And then after I found out that drug was like for antipsychotic drug, I stopped taking it. And then the nausea came back, but I was able to like function like a normal human instead of just like be sleeping all day and all night. Yeah, kind of hard to do when you have two kids already. I know. And then, I mean, it was really hard for Matt too because he was in school and working and taking care of two kids and I was just in bed for like two months straight. How far along were you when this was happening? Like six weeks pregnant. Oh wow. So so this is like a flurry of activity in the beginning. Wow. It was really bad. I mean it lasted until I was about like 20 weeks pregnant. So yeah I went back to my regular OB and then she prescribed me Unisom and B6 which Unisom is also for like you know drug for sleeping so it was also making me sleep a lot and I I couldn't drive like when I take that pill oh wow 
So Matt had to drive me like all my doctor's appointment and everything on top of like taking care of two kids and doing school at the same time. So I was taking Unisum and B6 and then um, because of the effect, I stopped taking the Unisum and I only started B6. And then I started like gaining my weight back like very slowly. Were there any foods that like were tried and true, like you could at least keep it down? <laughs> Was there anything that saved the day for you? Toast, <laughs> dry toast. Oh, I remember eating a lot of toast, just like toast. And if I can get a toast with jam down my throat, it was like a victory. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just like toast and nothing else. And Matt like bought me like every imaginable ginger candy, ginger chew, you know, all kinds of things like nothing worked. And those like ginger chews, I just really hated it. I, I feel like it like just ginger. makes you hate ginger. It doesn't... <laughs> ginger, I'm sorry. That's all fun and good. But it does not work on pregnant lady hormones. It's not like, oh, I have a little... I ate too much cheese and now I need to settle my stomach. It's like there are hormones coursing through my veins. Ginger's <laughs> not going to cut it. It's just bad. Yeah, I just did not like the ginger. Even though I was like feeling nauseous and sick and, you know... It was just like not worth it. <laughs> so wow. yeah, um, yeah. First trimester, it was flat out bad, and I was telling everyone like, you know, my first two babies, like I didn't feel a thing. I was just like, oh, being pregnant is so easy. But like <laughs> my third pregnancy came, and it was just like slap in the face. And what was funny is because, like, everyone was saying, like, oh, it's because you're getting old. <laughs> what? Wow, people suck. <laughs> I mean, it is funny because, I mean, in American culture, like, I was 29. Are so, you kidding me? People were yeah, saying Yeah, I mean, you in American old? culture, like, 29 is young for having baby. But in Mongolia, 29, you're cutting the edge. Okay. <laughs> So my mom was like, oh, you're just getting old. I mean, when you're pregnant, when you're old, it's hard. And I was like, why are you saying that? And I was like, I live in America. 29 is young for pregnancy. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's totally true. It is really different, you know, everywhere you, you go. Like, people have just a different conception of, you know, what childbearing age is is even or what they think it is um so wow so dry toast through your whole like (laughs) first trimester did it get i mean you said you were nauseous through 20 weeks but uh, second trimester um was there did you notice any differences did you start to feel any better um And also, did you know what the sex of your baby was going to be? Okay, so by the time my first trimester was done, I thought it was just going to be like, you know, day and night, but it wasn't. It was like I was still nauseous because, you know, when people say morning sickness, it happens only in your first trimester and then the second trimester, like it's fine, but it was not. 
So second trimester came and I was still like sick, but I was able to eat a little more and I started gaining a little weight. So that was like a good news. Yeah. And then so by that time, this whole craziness, this COVID thing started and then like my son was at home and he wasn't going to school. So we were trying to figure out this like, you know, his school schedule and things like that. And then Matt, but good thing for Matt, he was like working from home now because of the pandemic. So when I found out my baby's sex, like, you know, how they found find out at, at 20 weeks pregnancy, like the ultrasound, like Matt was not allowed to come in with me. So, <laughs> so the sex reveal, like I had to go to the like ultrasound, get it done. And then they, like, check the baby's, like, organs and feet and fingers and all that stuff. So I asked the nurse to, like, just write it down and then write down the sex and then just put it in the envelope for me. And then I'll open it with my husband later. So <laughs> Matt was waiting for me out in the car. <laughs> and I was in my ultrasound. And then I came out. I was like this whole time I was hoping for a girl. I was like, I want a girl. I want my daughter to have a best friend for life. Like I want my daughter to have a sister. So I was just like, it's going to be a girl no matter what. But then <laughs> it was a boy and I was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, I love my son now. I mean, I love him so much but I was like really really hoping for a girl but Matt was like super happy <laughs> but he didn't have any preference that was like the thing too he was like I don't care like if it's a boy or girl like it's gonna be fine but I was just like no it's gonna be a girl but it was not and it was a boy um how about Anuka was he did he have any preferences how did did you tell him that he was going to have a little brother? Well, yeah, I mean, right away, my kids knew that I was pregnant because I was, like, dead sick. I mean, you know, what's really interesting for my son, Timoka, is, like, um, he, when I got pregnant with Sarna, like, he was like, oh, it's going to be a girl. I just know it. It's going to be a little sister. I'm going to have a little sister. And I was like... That's before we even, like, found out. Like, he was saying that. And, like, 28-week ultrasound, she was a girl. And there was, like, no surprise. <laughs> but then with Iridui, like, he was like, oh, it's going to be boy. And I was like, stop saying that. It's going to be girl. <laughs> and then he was like, no, it's going to be boy. But then it was boy. And we were like, how did you know that? Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> Like, he has some weird sense when it comes down to his, like, little siblings. Like, you just know. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, he is so... Fan I think he's just the best uh, big brother. He's just so fantastic. I've definitely seen him with Iridui and just been like, wow, he knows his way around babies <laughs> better than I do. He's, <laughs> he's a pro. That's really cool that he kind of predicted that that's what your family might look like. Um, yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, second trimester uh, sounds the same. When did the nausea stop? Um, was it just well into third trimester? I think it was into second trimester. Yeah, I don't really remember much. I just remember, I mean, I had like, it just switched from nausea to heartburn. So I didn't really get like a breathing space in between, like feeling good. <laughs> and this was different for your other two pregnancies. Was that My just... other uh, two pregnancy? yeah, it was just amazing. It was, <laughs> I didn't have morning sickness. I didn't have heartburn. I didn't have back pains. <laughs> So yeah, maybe like getting old part was good. I mean, true. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should have had my babies at like 18 and then I wouldn't have been wanting to throw up so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so yeah. crazy how just every pregnancy really is its own unique universe. And it's all so different. I mean, just like every kid, but just there's sometimes, you know, you hear about quite a bit of diversity and sounds like you definitely had that and then I mean your third trimester is was last summer right and now what was that like it was weird it was really weird because like none of my doctor's appointment like Matt was able to come like he couldn't come I was have to be there alone and I had to wear masks all the time actually on my 20th week ultrasound they found out that my son's like one kidney was a little bit dilated so I had to have like multiple ultrasounds after that because they just wanted to check his kidney like again and again because his like right kidney was dilated a little like little bigger than it's supposed to be. Did they say like why that was or what happens? Uh... Well it was really annoying because like the you know how you go to get your ultrasound done and then like you see this like ultrasound technician like come and tell you like what's going on and then later you see your like your normal OB like your routine so like I would go to my ultrasound and then I'll have like my OB appointment like day after or something so the ultrasound technician will tell me like oh your son's kidney is dilated and like it indicates that he might be like, you know, autistic or something like that. Like, just tell me some random thing. <laughs> and I would be like worried sick and I'm like Googling like what happens and blah, blah, blah. And then my normal OB will just tell me like, oh, it's normal for boys. Boys tend to have that problem. And then it's fine after the birth. So it was just like two completely different messages. But at the same time, like, my OB was just so amazing. And I really, she's just, like, amazing. So I really liked her. And I just took whatever she said and I just, like, believed her. <laughs> That's good. It's good when you can trust the calm doctor who's not scaring you. Yeah. And also, like, especially, like, just thinking about the time when you're having your, you know, your third trimester it was a really, I mean, we're in the middle of this, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic and I feel like it probably even better to have somebody say something reassuring, <laughs> you know? I know, yeah. And yeah. also 
in Minneapolis, we were having, well, I don't know the exact timing of your third trimester, but we were having like a, a social uprising at the time too, which was really affected our day to day life. Just if you live in Minneapolis, cause there was just crazy stuff going on. So I can't imagine going through all that yeah, while yeah. pregnant and having two kids. Yeah, it was really, really bad. I mean, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it was just like really stressful and really emotional time too. Mm-hmm. Was it just you and Matt at this point too? Um, were your in-laws there? I mean, it probably also just, uh, how do you think like not being able to see people affected your pregnancy in any way? I feel like it did not affect me much um, because I wasn't working or anything and I don't really have like many friends in Minnesota. (laughs) So I didn't have to leave the house anyway or do anything. It more, I think it just affected my kids more than Mm me. And I'm like extreme introvert, so it was fine. Like. I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So the 32 weeks, they like had to check my son's kidney again um, after the 20th week ultrasound. And then my son was breached at 32 weeks. And that did not happen with any of my babies before, like any of my kids before. So they were like, oh, your baby's breached. Like that means you have to get a C-section. And this ultrasound technicians are just like very misleading. And then I was like really worried. Like, oh my gosh, my third baby, I have to get a C-section. Cause like my previous two was like normal vaginal delivery. So I was like super stressed out because of that too. And did he, I guess, tell us a little bit more about him being breached. Did he eventually flip? Did you do anything (laughs) to help him flip? So basically at 32 weeks, like if your baby's breached, like don't even worry about it. That was my understanding because like they can turn at like 39 weeks too if they're breached. So what really annoyed me at that point was like, I had no idea. And I was like texting a bunch of people like, my baby's bridge. They said they're going to like give me C-section. And everyone was like, that's so early to tell. Like, why would they tell you that? And I was just like, I have no idea like what's going on. And then I saw this. I couldn't see my normal OB that day. So they like scheduled me to this new person that I have never seen before and then she just saw me and she was telling me about like how the c-section works and how I should like you know schedule my c-section and I was just like what's going on like I'm only 32 weeks pregnant and I'm like I'm like for sure gonna give birth like you know c-section and then that doctor that I've never seen before she was like telling me like do you want your tubes tied and I was like what does that mean and then she was like oh like if woman has like when she's done having babies like you can have your tubes tied so you don't have to have babies again and I was just like you don't even know me and you don't even like 
asked me like if I have any other kids. Like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> That's incredible. Like, too much information. Like at the same time, unprompted, she asked you that. Well, and that's like before there was even for sure you were going to have to get a C-section too. So that's like really weird. It was like really disturbing. And I was like, you think that I can't have more kids or what? And I was just like super emotional. And Matt wasn't there. So I was just like all by myself with this like random doctor that I didn't know. And I was just like, what's going on? But, I mean, he turned eventually at, like, 36 weeks, I think. Or 38 weeks. I don't remember that exact time. And how did you find out that he had turned? So, because of his kidney was dilated, I had to have uh, ultrasound at 32 weeks and then 38 weeks or something. So, they were just checking... Actually, I found out it, it was really funny. It was just like one of the ultrasound, they had to like check his kidney. And then this ultrasound technician, she was like checking his kidney. And I was like, they told me like he was breached at 32 weeks, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I was like t- talking to her and I was like, like, is he still breached? Like, can you see and stuff like that? And then she like was just, she was like, I'm just going to check his kidney. Like, I'm actually not allowed to like, see any of that and then she (laughs) at the end of the ultrasound she tells me like don't tell anyone that I told you this but your baby's head is down and I was like (laughs) yes (laughs) so that's how I found out that it was like not bridge anymore Uh, someday I want to have an ultrasound tech on the podcast and have them tell us exactly what they're allowed to say and not say because I feel like every time I've had an ultrasound I'm like not getting the information I want but I know part of it's because they have weird rules and I think part of it's just because they're not a doctor I don't know but yeah yeah all I know is that ultrasound technicians falsely report on hair because I was told (laughs) multiple times that my baby would be born with tons of hair, but they were zoomed in on this little section behind her ear, which had a lot of hair, but they ignored the expanse of baldness on top of her head. I thought it was so. going to be like an Asian baby Elmo. And then yeah. it was oh, yes. just like, oh, just a normal amount of like a little bit of baby hair. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I thought, yes, I thought that I, you had called called it, called it Colleen M., an Instagram hair sensation. Like, I was fully prepared to be like, here's this account of baby hair news. But I was unable to do that. So um, that's all ultrasound texts leading me to believe, again, that I was, you know, going to be able to monetize my daughter's hair. <laughs> so he flipped. Thank goodness. Um, what about when... How could you tell, I guess, labor was near... Did you have signs? Um, Tell us about just the whole going into labor. Okay, so I was due on October 6th. No, not October 6th, sorry. I was due on October 1st, I think, my due date. So I ended up going into labor on October 6th. So, you know, like how end of the pregnancy, they will check you every week. Um, So it was just one of my routine checkups and then my OB was like do you want me to like peek in there and see if you if anything is happening because you like 
I was having like Braxton Hicks and all that stuff. So she checks and she says, oh, you're two centimeter dilated. Like, and I was like, oh, yeah, am I going into labor? She was like, no. I mean, <laughs> people go with two centimeters for many weeks. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah. But I was like happy that it was like, you know, starting. And I think that was at like 39 weeks. And then 40th week came, nothing happened. Like I was like full now, like, you know, full term. Uh And then I had an appointment with my doctor, but she was not going to be there on the day that I wanted. So I went to see her. She actually did like the membrane stripping thing on my 40th week, like on my due date. Uh And it was painful. Um, So I went back. I was like already like six days overdue. Wow. So I went in and then she was like, you're still like two centimeters dilated. Nothing is happening. And she was like, do you want me to do the membrane stripping again? And I was like, oh, it's so painful. But I was like well, let's do it. And then it was October 6th at 11 in the morning. And then she like does the membrane stripping. And then I just felt this hot, like, you know, water gushing out of me. And I was like, wow. And then I was like, I think you just broke my water. And then that's like after she did the membrane stripping. And then she was like, Oh, and then she like went back and checked and she was like, oh yeah, your water just broke. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I was like, yay, I finally get to have this baby. (laughs) (laughs) Because my both two pregnancies, they were like on time, like one day overdue. So I was like already six days overdue and I was like already like anxious to go into labor. So she was like, I'll call the hospital that you're coming and then you should go home and pack your bag and go to the hospital. So we came back home at 11 and Matt's parents were here. They spent the summer with us. So they were here and we were like, oh, we just went to the doctor and my water broke. So we're going to the hospital now. So we left the two kids with them and... We actually like walked around the park before we went to the hospital because by that time I was still not like having any like labor or anything. I mean, I was having like a little bit of like, you know, contractions, but it wasn't like the pregnancy, like the heart contractions. Uh-huh. So we like walked around the park and we're like, okay, like, let's go. And it was just like such a beautiful, like sunny October day. And I just like, I don't want to go to hospital just yet. Like I want to like enjoy the sunshine. So we went to the hospital at two and they were like, oh, are you Mogi? Like we were waiting for you. So like actual checking in part was just like we hadn't didn't have to do anything because we like did everything online before and because of covid they made it like really efficient like you just go there and sign a couple of paper and you just go in and then i had to give like got tested for covid before i went in so Uh i tested negative so i was able to just go in with matt but like no additional person or anything my contractions were still like 
very not hard at all. It was just like I can just breathe and I can do whatever. Like I can change positions. And I was like hoping to not get epidural because I knew that it was going to be my last baby. And I, in my previous two, I got epidural. And I was like, I was hoping not to get an epidural this time. And then <laughs> my mom is so funny. She was like, the second you walk into the hospital, ask them to get a, give you an epidural. <laughs> and I was like, I kind of want to be like present because like in the past two times, like because I got an epidural, I felt like I didn't really have to like, you know, push really hard or anything. And I like read so many women who had a birth without like medication and it just sounds like amazing and I was like I can do it I can do it without an epidural <laughs> so I was hoping to do it without epidural but my mom was like you need to get an epidural <laughs> so I went in I didn't want to get an epidural yet and then my nurse was just so amazing like because of COVID, like it was also another upside is like my nurse was there with me all the time. And I had only one nurse and she was just there, like kind of like Dola, like she was just like helping me and just like monitoring everything. And I had this doctor like, you know, coming in and checking on me. So they were like, do you want Pitocin to just like kind of kick things in? Like you know kick start everything and I was like what is it because I had never heard about Pitocin before <laughs> so it was just like it's just this hormone thing to just like get your labor going like it will tell your body that like it's time to like have the baby and I was like okay I'll get that but I would not recommend Pitocin. <laughs> it was really bad. And I found out about it like after I had him that it actually makes your contractions like 10 times worse than normal contractions. Oh boy. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yeah, Pitocin, I had no idea. It, it really was a surprise. So I got the Pitocin and I was like four centimeters dilated and then my nurse was keep telling me like if you want to get an epidural like tell me now and I was like I don't want it yet but then by five o'clock it just like it just gotten to the point like I cannot handle like any more pain and it was so bad I was crying like I was like crying I couldn't hold any like you know I couldn't control anything and I was mm -hmm. just like the contraction was way too much so I asked for epidural which was already too late so the people came I don't even know like by that time I had no idea like what time it was like what was going on I was just like on the bed I couldn't move and then they came and had they had me like sit up and then gave me an epidural but by the time like the epidural kicked in, I couldn't feel anything. But at the same time, like my nurse came and she was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna like connect you to this thing. You know how they like, when they give you epidural, they like shove this tube up into your bladder. <laughs> so she was gonna do that. 
And I was like five centimeters dilated before I could got the epidural. And then by the time she checked on me, which was like maybe like half an hour after that, she was like, oh, you're like fully dilated. You can start pushing now. And I was like, what? <laughs> like that was that happened like within two hours. Like I went from five centimeters to like full dilated, like wow. in two hours. And it was just like so painful. <laughs> so the doctor comes in and then she's like, you can start pushing now. And, I, and then I started pushing and I couldn't feel anything. Like I had no idea if I was pushing right or pushing wrong. So like the Pitocin was still like high and I can still, I was still in like a lot of pain. Oh, that sucks. But the epidural made it so like, it just made it just right for me to like not feel anything waist down. So I was like trying to push, but I couldn't. Like I just had no idea like what was going on. So I would just like take a deep breath and try to push. And I had no idea if I was like pushing right or pushing wrong. Like I feel like with my previous two, I had better control over my body. Like even with the epidural, like I felt like how I was pushing, like I had more control over my body. But this time I just like had no idea. So the doctor was like just telling me to push and I was just like pushing when she tells me to like push and then all of a sudden like you know my husband was like holding my one leg and the nurse was holding my other like all of a sudden like everyone disappeared and the only the doctor was there and then one second later there was like five six nurses in the delivery room and they were like all over me like two were holding my legs and then one was like on top of me pushing my belly oh my and gosh and I was like what is going on and then they were like push 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 so it was like the final push and then the baby came out and then like I was like hoping to have his like cord clamp delayed and you know have a skin to skin and then they just like took my baby away they just clipped his cord and then took him away and I was like what's happening oh my gosh how scary <laughs> so after like a two minutes they bring him back to me and he was crying so that was the good news and then my doctor told me like oh he had a shoulder dystocia mm. and I was like what is that and then apparently like his shoulder got stuck on my pelvic bone oh so they had to push him out like the nurse was on top of me like pushing him out like forcing him out because thank goodness like, you had an epidural for that part Good yeah lord i could not have done that without medication <laughs> so yeah he was eight pounds and one ounce i think um yeah he was big my previous two were tiny tiny um and I'm a small person too. So eight pounds and one ounce, that's a very big, like pushing the limit for me. So yeah. And then luckily his arm was moving. 
like he his right shoulder was stuck but the recovery part for my pelvic bone was like really hard apparently like my pelvic bone like separated mm-hmm. oh <laughs> doesn't sound good i don't understand it but it doesn't sound good yeah <laughs> well the pelvic bone is like this one solid round bone with like this little split in the middle but that split just like yeah it was bad i was googling it afterward because i couldn't stand and every time i like stand up after like you know weeks after i had the baby like my pelvic bone just hurts and i couldn't stand up so that was this shoulder dystocia like his shoulder was stuck but his arm was totally fine and what so, was what was your first impression of him? Um, like, what was he like right after he was born? <laughs> so it's really funny. So you know, my husband is white and I'm Asian. So my when my daughter was born, she had this white skin, red hair, gray eyes. But my son, he was like dark skin color and dark hair, just like everything, like. It just seemed like he was, like, a pure Mongolian baby. (laughs) It was, like, so different, which was really shocking. And at the same time, we were, like, super curious. Like, what is he going to look like? Is he going to look more like me or more like you, you know? Because we're just, like, two completely different looking people. (laughs) And I've told you before that I think he looks a lot like Matt. So I think that's funny that your that was your first impression of him. The first impression was like, oh, he's a Mongolian baby. Like he is Mongolian because his hair was dark, skin was dark, and his eye color was kind of like gray. But you know, when he was just born, it was like dark gray, dark dark. So once the doctors brought him back to you, was everything good? Did you get to just be with him and your husband for a little while? Yeah, I mean, and then, like, all this, like, swarm of nurses, they just, like, left after a little bit, which was, like, really shocking because, you know, it's middle of the pandemic and we're just supposed to be, like, me and my husband and the nurse and the doctor. Um, There's, like, all this nurse, like, I had no idea where they came from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they brought him back to me after, like, two minutes and I was just, like, all better now everything is good like you know I was just so happy and then um after that he latched on like right away almost which was very good yeah he was just such a sweet baby he like barely ever cries like he's just super chill compared to my two before they were just like cry babies but he would just like (laughs) eat and sleep eat and sleep (laughs) he's like it's a pandemic we're not going anywhere let's all just be calm (laughs) i know yeah that was like amazing yeah and then my mom she is in mongolia so she wanted to come and help me but because of the pandemic i was like i don't want you to fly internationally to come see my baby (laughs) like what if you bring COVID to us yeah for sure (laughs) but and I was like, what if you get a COVID on your way here and bring it or, you know. So that was like the downside. And my family like hasn't seen him in person since he was born. 
what are the um what's the situation with vaccines in Mongolia? Do they have them or is it culturally like okay to get vaccines? I don't know anything about it. So Mongolia, so like in January 2020, they like end of January they went into strict lockdown because Mongolia is bordered with China. Mm-hmm. So they closed their border completely from China. So there was like no one allowed to go to China or come from China. So they held COVID really well until like a couple months ago. So right now they are getting vaccine from China and Russia. Mm-hmm. But I feel like people are getting vaccinated. I mean, I know that my whole family already got vaccinated, but I'm not sure about the exact numbers, like how well they're getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But their case number is going up like every day. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it's really bad. And are they still on lockdown? Like, are they allowed to visit or are you allowed to visit them? They literally just opened their border on... May 25th, I think, 2021. So, I mean, in Minnesota, there's like only like 50-something Mongolians here. And I've been talking to people here and they're saying like they want to go to Mongolia this summer and visit their family because they weren't allowed last summer. Mm -hmm. So this year, like now that we're vaccinated, we can go. But I don't know, like they're just like very unpredictable like how things are gonna go because like the case number in minnesota is going down but Mm -hmm. in mongolia it's going up yeah and with kids not being able to get vaccinated it's a little harder to make those kind of plans yeah yeah and then i mean mongolia it's not a very very developed country so you can't really tell like the exact number like how many people are getting vaccinated or Mm -hmm you know, how the herd immunity is going or anything like that. That's got to be hard to have your family so far away like that. Yeah. My sister wants to come and visit, but I don't know if she will be able to, like, get a visa to. That's, like, another thing about mm-hmm. having, like, international families, like, oh, you want to come visit? Like, you know, come on. But we have to, like, apply for a visa and then... I was just complaining to Matt the other day, like, what if we apply visa for my sister and then, like, whoever, the embassy there just decides that he doesn't want to send my sister to Mong- to United States to visit us. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, ugh, there's just so much unknown and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, that would be really hard. Like, so much paperwork to do and, like, we have to pay for the visa and, like, everything. It's not just like the plane ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so hopefully my sister can come visit me soon. And my other sister, she's in Australia. Like, she can't come because Australia's lockdown is like even tighter than Mongolia's lockdown. And then if you were to come to the United States, when you go back, you have to like quarantine in a hotel and you have to pay all the fee by yourself. Like, it's just way too expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's all really tough. Um, was your immediate postpartum like? How was that time for you and your family? I think the postpartum part, I recovered pretty well, except the pelvic bone. 
Actually, like, the Pitocin makes it so your face, like, swell up. Like, her whole body, like, swells, which I had no idea. Oh, so, I didn't like, know that either. <laughs> so, because, like, during the labor, I was, like, crying. Like, after I had my son, my face was just, like, all puffy from <laughs> crying and the Pitocin. <laughs> it was crazy. And then the day after we had our son we were like we just want to go home like we want to go home we don't want to be in the hospital because you know we had to have masks on all the time and it was just like very uncomfortable so we were trying to leave the hospital like on october 7th which is like 24 hours after my son was born we were gonna like you know do the discharge paper and everything and then all of a sudden we were at the children's hospital the Abbott Northwestern. So it's on Chicago Avenue and 30, no, 26th Street. So all of a sudden the building goes on lockdown and we're like, what's going on? And then apparently there was like a protest that day. They were like marching from Chicago, 38th in Chicago to downtown that day. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we couldn't leave for like half an hour so we just had to wait around and apparently there was like a protest going on about Derek Chauvin trial oh no it was like I think he he went out on a bail or something I don't remember exactly what happened but there was a protest there and then after that like the nurse came to my room and she was like are you sure you guys want to leave tonight (laughs) (laughs) and we're like yeah I mean we just leave like 10 minutes from like here we can just drive home Mm -hmm. and she was like oh okay if you leave like closer that's fine like she was like so worried about us leaving oh just about getting from the hospital to your house with all the protests and stuff going on yeah yeah she was worried like whether we have to like drive around the protesters or something like Mm -hmm. that because we were like just had a baby and we had a newborn in the car yeah it was stressful we were like oh my gosh like we can't leave the hospital (laughs) so when you did get to go home what was um introducing him to his older siblings like they were just like really loved him and it was like so sweet to just like see him with his like older brother and sister and matt's parents are there and my daughter was just, like, so excited. I don't know if she, like, understood what was going on. <laughs> it's like, where did this baby come from? I think she understood a little bit. I She would she will tell me, like, Irete was in mommy's belly, and now he's outside mommy's belly, you know? <laughs> Which was, like, cute. Like, she understood that part. <laughs> Can you talk to us about what his name means and how you picked it? Okay, so um, my husband is extremely stubborn, right? (laughs) She was like, we were like trying to find a name for our daughter. And then he was like, I was like, we should give our daughter like Mongolian, American name. And then he was like, I don't want to name my daughter some like boring American name. I want to name her some Mongolian name, like cool Mongolian name. I was like, how is anyone going to be able to like pronounce our kids' names? And he was like, they will figure it out. Like, I don't exactly. care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Agreed. So I was like, so we picked Mongolian name for our daughter. 
And then our son, like we were, you know, had to pick a Mongolian name for him. So when we found out that he was a boy, like I started searching like boy names. And then in Mongolian language, we have this hard L sound and R sound. And it's in almost every single name. And none of the American, like no American can pronounce it right. So I was like, I would like every once in a while, I'll like pick one name and then I'll have Matt pronounce it. And if Matt can pronounce it, I'll tell Matt's parents. And if they can't pronounce it, then I'll like cross it off the list. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the name I really liked was Tugultur. And then it has that L sound like Tugultur. And then Mm -hmm. the end is also like R, right? And then they just like could not like, (laughs) which was like a bummer because I was like, I want to name my son Tugultur. But then like they were like, we can't say it. So we were stuck with Iredui, which means future, and Itkil, which means hope. Wow. So we were like trying to figure out like which one should we choose? Like, I mean, they can like say it kind of, you know? And then our daughter, Sarna, was like, we were like having the kids say the names too. And our daughter, Sarna, s- said Iredu, like really cute, like, Iredui, like kind of like that. And I was just like, okay, so Iredu is going to be his name. <laughs> so we picked his name. And then what is funny is like in the hospital, like no one can sit, pronounce his name. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like after you have a baby, they will like write your baby's name on the board, like mm-hmm. the whiteboard. So the nurses will come in and they were like, what is your son's name? And we'll say like, and then the nurse is like, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I told you this movie, but me and Adam really like Irish names and we liked the name Bryn and I really liked the name Sersha. But if you look at how those are spelled, I was like, my Filipino family would not be able to handle it. They'd be like, Brine, your baby's Brine. Or like, Sour Sea, you know? So we just, <laughs> it's, that's what I love about names though, because they all, you know, carry such meaning. They're picked by our parents. Um, and so, wow, that is a very beautiful story behind Iridwi's name. So I'm glad yeah. that you shared that. Yeah, I like the translation to means future. I was actually Googling, like, how many people have named future in America? And I found out that there's exactly 77 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if he wants to translate his name to future instead of Iridu when he's old, he can do that. <laughs> There's a really prominent uh, rapper in Atlanta named Future who has a lot of really good music too. So that's another cool Future connection. Yeah, actually I found out that the rapper Future, his son's name is Future. Wow. But the rapper's name, it's his uh, stage name. Yeah, I forget what his real name is. It was like some really long name. I have no idea. Definitely not American name, I think. Well, Moogie, thank you so much for sharing your birth story with us. Is there anything that you want to add or anything that we 
forgot to mention or ask? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I think we're done. Well, no, again, thank you so much for, for sharing. It's really cool, and I feel very lucky just being able to, you know, see your family and see your kids with their newest sibling. It's just so sweet. Um, yeah. It's just so sweet. So normally we end every episode with a birth fact. And Colleen, do you have a fact for... I, I do. Let me pull it up here. Um, I was just thinking about there's like a movement sort of thing in America to have uh, like birth center births and home births. And I was just thinking about how many people, how many babies are actually born in hospitals. All right. Hit us, hit us Colleen, with, with the number of hospital births. Okay. Well, the problem is the first time... I looked this up. It actually just gave me a percentage. And then this time it gave me the percentage out of hospital births, which I refuse to do even the simplest of math right now in my head. So I'm trying to find the thing that it was like 98 something. Um, Okay. Well, this site says roughly 99% of U.S. children are born in the hospital. The other site I recalled from earlier was like 98.4, but I can't find that one again for some reason. So most people have their baby in hospital in the U.S. Wow. I'm surprised. I feel like that's high. I would have guessed, like, 85, maybe. Yeah, I would, I would have, have guessed. thought fewer, too, because I know that a lot of women, although, you know, like, my midwife practice, a lot of people, including myself, choose to have their baby at the hospital still. They just have the midwives do the, you know, delivery. So I think it's growing, but it's still not predominant and then if you live in a small town like there that's not even a choice so there's that too interesting I wonder if we check in in like 25 years how that statistic will or will not have changed well I hope we're definitely still podcasting and making a million (laughs) dollars off our podcast in 25 years (laughs) (laughs) all right well again thank you Moogie for sharing and uh Colleen thank you as always and this is just this has been another episode of the frickin' miracle of birth. Yeah, thanks, Yeah, Moogie. Thank you for inviting me. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.